Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're very welcome along to this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about last week's episode, looking at the impact on third level education and also primary and secondary schools, asking what will the education system look like post-COVID-19. You can still listen back to the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or on the Go Loud app. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing Between the Lines at Newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up on today's programme, we'll be asking what's the likelihood or possible immediate and maybe long to medium term effects on the rental market. Joining us on the line to discuss the senior lecture in housing at the Technical University Dublin, Lorcan Sir. Lorcan, just first of all, um, the entire COVID-19 pandemic over the past really 13 weeks or so at this stage, what's been the impact on the rental sector countrywide? Well, when questions like this come up, as, as, a, as a so-called expert, it's tempting to give, you know, a semi-informed opinion. But the, the reality is we don't really know where it's going to go. Um, and it's very early days, even though we're in it, you know, three or four months, it's very early days to, to kind of assess what the impact is because of the lot of the, a lot of the data that comes through is delayed. So, for example, in the Residential Tenancies Board, the amount of tenancies that may have been abandoned, we'll say, in the COVID-19 or, or given up in, during COVID-19, that data won't come through for another couple of months. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that rents have dropped in the private rental sector, uh, that rents have dropped. Um, how much they're going to drop, I don't know. I don't think, this is just an informed uh, guess, but I don't think they're going to drop as much as many people think they do. Uh, on the commercial rental side, so in other words, tenants in shopping centres and tenants on the high street, uh, a lot of those have stopped to paying their rent because you simply don't have the cash. It's very much, a, you know, you need a cash flow business uh, and they don't have a, about 70% of people there, sorry, about half the people there have stopped paying their rent. Another 25% are paying some rent and another 25% are still paying the full rent. So that's obviously going to have a huge impact mm. on landlords' uh, returns as well. You know, if, if all your tenants, yeah. shopping centres stop C- paying rent. C- can I just ask, in that, first of all, just that the point you mentioned about um, rents or rental prices dropping in the residential uh, sector, do you mean for new properties that are being taken out to rent or do you mean for tenants, uh, tenants that are currently renting? I know I'm a tenant and I know my rent certainly hasn't dropped in the past three months. Yeah, I think with the introduction of the 4% rent cap, I, and, and it operates both ways. So in other words, if landlords reduce rents at the moment, they're going to be stuck with whatever rent they reduce it by and then plus a 4% rent increase next year. So a lot of landlords are, are reluctant to reduce uh, rents too much or mm-hmm. at all because they're stuck with them with a 4% increase. Um, but there are a lot of new properties coming on the market that won't have been there before. There will be an awful lot of students, uh, student accommodation. Now, Irish students are different to particularly UK students in that they tend to live in the suburbs and commute in and out, get the bus in and out of college. Um, a lot of those students won't be coming back in September, a lot of the teaching, well, most of the teaching for all the universities, as far as I can see, including my own, will be done online from September to January. So there's going to be an awful lot of, of freed up housing in the suburbs. Uh, and that's, that will be effectively new properties coming on the market. And I think you'll see that's where the reductions are and, and properties coming on the market. The the whole area of, of real estate investment trusts and purpose built to rent, in other words, the professional landlords, they, even though they might have empty properties, their reserves are so deep that they can probably afford to hang on until the market kind of comes back in again. They would be very reluctant to reduce their rents because you know they're then stuck with the reduced rent plus a 4% rent increase in the, in the next 12 months. 
so that's in relation to the the buy to rent properties, is it? That's in relation to the the what I mean by the REITs is the real estate to rent, I should so, say. Yeah, the bills to rent, the professional so in other words, the landlord investment funds who come in as professional landlords and buy or build entire blocks with the sole purpose of renting them out. They those kind of funds have very deep pockets compared to your average small landlord. And remember that you know, about nine and ten Irish landlords have only three properties or fewer, so they're very small really. Um, but these large landlords with hundreds and if not and thousands of properties they have very deep pockets, so they can probably hold on and afford to keep them empty for a while and to see how the market pans out. Whereas your average small landlord who is a you know, a guard, a teacher or whatever civil servant who happens to have a property or two rented out to, to you know, radio presenters or journalists or students or whatever it is, they are very much more to the pin of their collar and they will find it much more difficult to leave a property empty. So they will probably be more likely to reduce uh, the asking rent in order to get somebody in to help them pay their you know, their, their second mortgage as such. I'm thinking of people who are maybe currently in a rental property at the minute, Lorcan, and perhaps, you know, given the current situation with the pandemic, we've so many people that are now working from home, maybe the kind of work that they're doing, they've been redeployed. And a lot of people are, you know, looking for and thinking about maybe upsizing or maybe getting a different, you know, a bit slightly bigger place to live in, um, even if they are in the rental sector. I wonder, is, is this the time to go shopping for that? Well, you know, with every crisis, somebody wins. Uh, and in, in this case, it's probably going to be a buyer's market and in the house buying section sector and also probably in, in, in the rental sector. What the pandemic has done for sure is made an awful lot of people reflect on the quality of the of the accommodation that they have, whether they're owners or whether they're renters, and not just the quality of the specific accommodation, but also the broader community and, in other words, the broader location where they live. So they might have been doing long commutes uh, and now they're reflecting on whether I, I need to do that or B, whether I want to do that. Uh, and the same with their rental accommodation. Do I really want to live in a flat that doesn't have a balcony? And we have seen, particularly throughout Europe, but also in Ireland, people who are living in apartments uh, with no balconies are suffering much more than people who are living in apartments with balconies. So even something as basic as three square metres, which adds very, very little to the cost of construction of an apartment, uh, is really important for people's mental health and ventilation as well, but also but particularly you know, with access to light and with access to fresh air and things like that. So I think people will be reflecting on on the, the property that they live in, whether they rent it or own it, and also where that property is. And I think it's not we're not going to move to a whole, you know, raft of people working for home forever. A lot of people, most people's homes aren't suitable for it. I know I'm sitting at the kitchen table here talking to you, and mm-hmm. I, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be in studio mm-hmm. with, you, with you and we could do this properly. And an awful lot of people are, are in that situation. So I don't think the office is dead for those people who, who go into offices. I don't think the office is dead by a long shot. But there are people who will reflect on maybe more so where they live. In other words, do I really need to be living in a small pokey apartment in the city centre where I could maybe work from home three days a week and go back to my parents' house in Sligo or Tipperary or, you know, out of Dublin, wherever it is, you know. Yeah, just interesting that you mentioned the, the, the office because I was thinking that during the, um, you know, during the past week, Lorcan, that there's an awful lot of um, available and even newly available, newly built office spaces, particularly across the, the cities and, and here in Dublin as well in the capital city um, that may not be required now. Like I'm sure a lot of businesses are looking at their, their business model in a more long-term perspective, thinking that maybe instead of needing four floors in an office building, we, we might now only need one. The, a lot of the building, the office buildings that you see under construction or about to, you know are nearly completed will have already been sold and been uh, you know probably pre-let as well. So deals are done there. So there'll be very little backing out uh, of those deals. Now the people who took the building as either 
Well, so in other words, the developer will, will usually sell it in advance in order to go to the bank to say, look, I've sold this building already. Will you lend me the money to build this in the first place? It's kind of a, a backward system. Um, so the people who, who, have, who have bought the building or who have agreed to rent the building, they might be reflecting and say, well, maybe we'll only take two of the four floors or two of the eight floors and we'll rent out the other uh, six floors. I think there will be a lot of recalibration. All right. I don't think we're going to see companies moving entirely, not, not all companies, or not a not a majority of companies moving towards working from home because it has all sorts of other implications, including tax implications, uh, working from home, and and also you know the you know despite all the advent of things like you and I are doing uh, remote uh, interviews and that people like to do have face to face communication. So I think there's always going to be a role for office. Where the danger comes in what you're talking about is the future pipeline, all the the land that has been bought by people with an eye on providing a an office block. And suddenly they realise there mightn't be anybody there to build the block, to buy the block that I plan on building. So in other words, then they can't go to, they can't forward sellers, they can't go to the bank and say, look, I've sold it already. Will you give me the money to build it? Because the market for buying it might be much reduced. So you'll probably see then reduced rents around the place as well as the value of these properties, commercial rents, I mean, as the value of these properties. Uh, overall kind of goes down a bit. Okay. You also mentioned as well um, Airbnb and that, you know, stock of of available Airbnbs across the country that, I mean, you'd wonder how many people are going to be coming um, from abroad to holiday in Ireland, but certainly there will be a certain level of staycations taking place. I mean, is it is it time to maybe relook at all of that, Lorcan, the fact that there'll now be, if if you're the owner of an Airbnb property, um, I'm sure they're asking what are they going to do with it? Well, the first thing about the vast, vast majority of Airbnbs, and I'm talking 99% plus, that are, you know, entire houses, not people sharing, you know, not people renting a room in, in their property, but the, the, the thousands of entire Airbnb units that are for that, is there 99% of them are, are illegal. Um, and so the first thing I'll say is go and apply for planning permission like you're supposed to do and compete in the market on a level basis uh, with everybody else. So I, I think what you see with the Airbnbs, it's time to tighten up on them. It's time to enforce the law around them. It's time to take a lot of them out of the market because they haven't been doing a whole lot of favours for the vast majority of the market. A lot of the Airbnbs, if you go onto onto the, some of the websites um, that advertise rental properties, it's very interesting. You see the photographs of the properties, and typically you'll see you know a rental property with you know a couple of chairs on the table, and it looks okay. But when you see ex Airbnb ones, they were, they're the ones with the towels folded on the end of the double bed, and all very nice and neat and shiny. But what you see for them is they're very short term. Uh, rent on the, you know, so Airbnb owners have put them on the rental market, the normal rental market, but for very short-term lets, and they haven't reduced the prices a whole lot. So I suspect a lot of Airbnb owners are hanging on in there as much as they can until the tourist business picks up again. So their fingers, and in the meantime, they're putting them on the rental market on very short leases. In other words, in order not to give tenants any right of occupation. You know, if mm-hmm. you're there six months, you can say six years, essentially. And what you'll find is the Airbnb units that have come on the market are looking for like one-month tenancies. Uh, and I think that a lot of the owners are hedging their bets uh, until the, the, you know, if and until the rental sector, the, sorry, the tourist sector picks up again. Just finally, Lorcan, for the moment, the government response to the rental sector at the minute. I mean, I know the um, the, the rent evictions ban was brought in, but I mean, overall, their, their response? Um, well, so the ban, there's a ban on eviction, uh, and so you can't be served a notice of, tenum, uh, of, of termination, and there's a ban on rent increases. Rents have effectively been frozen. So for me, that's really interesting, because for the last 20 years, or forever, governments have said it is totally unconstitutional to freeze rents. 
And lo and behold, when an, an emergency comes along, they can do all the things that they should have done or they could. They said they could never do uh, before. So I think the response in housing terms, they were slow off the mark with the tenants. Uh, they were very quick off the mark with protecting homeowners and, and people with mortgages. And they were very, very much slower, as is normal, I suppose, uh, or as is usual, uh, to look after the tenants. I mean, I, I think the the um, the measures they have put in place come to an end, I think, at the end of this month. And I can see them being... Uh, extended for another at least another three months. We know from looking at research by the ESRI, the, uh, the Economic Social Research Institute, that there are at le- least 200,000 people renting who are in the sectors like construction and admin and, and that and retail who have been most badly affected by um, the the pandemic. Uh, and only a very small amount of them have applied for help with their rent rent supplement. So there's still potentially a huge amount more people out there who are going to claim off the state for help uh, with paying the rent. So we'll see what the government does uh, when that surge in looking for assistance um, comes along. Senior lecturer in housing at Technical University of Dublin, Lorcan Sir, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're very welcome back to this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're continuing our discussion on today's programme, looking at the uh, possible immediate or maybe the medium to long term effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the rental market. Well, joining us on the line is the Director of Advocacy at Focus Ireland, Mike Allen. Mike, thanks to you for taking the call today. I want to know, first of all, about when I think of the the number of people that that you represent and people that you talk to on a daily basis, a lot of them using an in and part of the rental sector in this country. How have they been impacted during this pandemic? Well, for people who are remaining remaining homeless, it has been been very difficult. If you you think of all homeless accommodation, it is very crowded. For the families, they're often stuck in one hotel room. Um, uh, for single people, they'd be using maybe in, in dormitory facilities. A lot of them, even if they're in uh, emergency accommodation with single rooms, they would be sharing bathroom facilities. Many of the emergency accommodations don't have places to eat, so it's it adds up to all the the, the worst things. If you think the fundamental message during most of the lockdown has been stay at home. The fact that people don't have a home highlights just how difficult it's been for them. But there's been a, there's been a really, really strong response um, led by the HSE uh, in, in, in Dublin, Dr. Austin Carroll, and by the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive and local authorities around the country, um, and, local, and all the homeless organisations working closely together. People being moved out as much as possible out of those cramped emergency accommodations into the hotels that are empty, and then um, setting up of... Um, uh, cocooning facilities for 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 particularly vulnerable people who don't have have COVID nineteen, and as far as we know at this stage, there have been no deaths amongst the homeless population or people who are currently homeless okay. uh, in 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 Ireland, and that's a pretty uh, you know I don't want to to, to go, you know to touch wood when I say it because there's been a huge amount of work to to to, to achieve that from from uh, all everybody involved. Um, but it's not been like that in many other countries, and the, the homeless population has been one of the most um, vulnerable in many, many countries. The United States, in particular, it's been horrific. So I think it's something we can. We, I mean, while it's been miserable, it's been very difficult for people, and so on. I think there are things that we've achieved which we can be proud of. Okay, um, and, and and that's certainly a good, you know, um, assessment or a good, good commentary. I'm sure for a lot of people to hear as well, Mike. In terms of how we address um, the homelessness situation, the housing situation in a sort of a 
post COVID-19 era I mean we, we've we've talked quite frequently even on this very programme Mike to you and heard from you and, and others as well um, about the difficulties facing the, the homeless sector and the housing issue as well so now with this um, thrown into the, into the mix the, the COVID-19 issue how do we address this going forward do you think? Well um the government did a number of things which were, uh, were very positive and had very good uh, short-term positive effects of the, the uh, preventing further evictions and the, the rent freeze. Um, so we saw a huge decline in the number of families becoming homeless in, in Dublin from up in the hundreds to down in the in, in the 20s and so on. Um, why 20, you know, around 20 families were becoming homeless a month during the lo- lockdown is another thing to look at what was happening there, but it, which shows perhaps the extent to which some of the problems are, if you like, social problems, about 20% mm-hmm. and 80% being sort of economic housing problems. It's of a, a fairly rough figure, but it gives an indication of that. Um, but what we're worried about is that what happens when these restrictions come off. So um, once the rent freeze is gone, do what do landlords do with rent? And once the eviction notice is on, are there a whole pile of people who are... Um, landlords essentially who are waiting to get out of the market or, or evict people from them and we have this this significant wave of, 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 of people coming homeless. While there's been a lot of coverage about how fairly positive the welfare regime was for uh, people who lost their jobs, it's a bit, of a bit more of a mixed picture when it comes to rent because if you were paying um, sort of an ordinary rent in Dublin or any of our cities, uh, most of your COVID-19 payment would be going on rent. Um, and this seems to be a very low uh, take-up of the special rent supplement payment. Um, a few thousand people, and you'd have expected to be a few tens of thousand people. So you'd expect that there's a considerable build-up of um, either debt or rent arrears, and consequently a huge problem potentially for landlords and for tenants of what do you do um, if you have a tenant okay. who has fallen seriously behind uh, behind in arrears. So we think that really needs to be looked at in the same way that we've looked at okay. mortgage arrears. Yeah, can I expect to be sorted out in a week? Can I just just cut across you there, um, Mike? Because this is just a couple of different points I, I wanted to pick mm-hmm. up on that rent payment you mentioned. Um, just when is that, or in what cases is that allowed in, and, and how much is it? Just out of curiosity. Um, so uh, it's rent supplement is paid for by it's paid by the Department of Social Protection, yeah. and so it it comes into place if you are working. And for one reason or another, for a short-term uh, period, you've lost your income. So that could be short-term unemployment, mm. or it could be sickness, or, um, in, or in this case, it could be could be a layoff. And it should pay, um, depending on your rent level, but it, it's it it's, should pay all but about forty euros, thirty-five to forty euros, depending on your circumstances of of your rent. There are rent. There's a maximum amount of rent that they'll take into account. But during the COVID nineteen period that were that cap was considerably increased to reflect market realities because there's been a long-term complaint from focus ireland and other organizations that the maximum level of rent they would pay is far lower than any landlord is willing to to accept so they they reflected that in the covid19 period what seems to be missing here is just a a, a publicity campaign about it um and unfortunately a lot of well-meaning newspapers and other advisors were sending people to the hat payment which is run by the local authorities, which is for long-term problems. And for most people, these are short-term problems. And so I suspect there's an awful lot of applications be, um, being processed in HAP, which will be turned down because people were directed to the wrong payment. Okay, so so, so, so a, a very simple phone call then to the Department of Social Protection would answer that for people? 
Yes, and for some journalists as well, I'm afraid to say that people sort of in good faith, uh, journalists giving out advice, which is completely wrong, and not asking the department or asking organisations like ourselves. Okay, for the, so, for so this, is, this is for people that have maybe lost their job um, and you're saying that you can receive the, the €350 Euro COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the, the benefit payment, and then also if you're now struggling to pay your rent because you're, the business you work in has maybe been closed down during this period, you can also apply for the rent supplement allowance. That's correct, and, and they'll, you, you, out of the COVID-19 payment or your welfare payment or whatever, you'd be expected to pay about €35 Euros of your rent um, up to a certain maximum okay. rent level. Um, and they, and they, they massively simplified the system, and so they did a huge amount of work in the Department of Social Protection to make it accessible. The one thing they unfortunately didn't do was get the message across as they existed. Okay, what I'm interested in is for the for people that are you say there hasn't been a huge uptake of people applying for that supplement or for that um, additional rent payment Mike at the moment is that because a lot of landlords have actually said look Andrea you're struggling at the moment you're currently out of work at the minute you're in receipt of 350 euro you can't pay your rent of X amount we're going to give you a break and we'll work it out um, over the next couple of months um, I don't know quite honestly on that um, nobody has come to us and told us that that's happened but then the sort of work we do nobody comes and tells you that they've been fairly treated the only mm, cases you okay. ever hear are cases where somebody is in difficulty um, if the landlord is doing that and say look you it's okay you can pay me back that that money later then they're actually again in a well-meaning way making a big mistake because the person should in fact be getting the money from the department of social protection and both of them should be happy. But one thing we work obviously, if landlords are forgoing rent permanently, that's you know very generous of them and and, and, unlikely, and really but... of what's happening and unlikely. And of course, they have their yeah. own demands on them and, and, and so on. No, but I just mean in the sense that they're the, just the, piling. The... The, if they're building the rent up as a as a, a body of debt, that is really what we're worried about. And we we the the, the, the if at the end of this process, when people mm. find a way back to work, um, they are facing huge huge debts to particular landlords, there's obvious sort of problems arise for landlords. Uh, uh, one, one, just one of the issues is that, that an awful lot of the, the, the people who are renting are younger people who tend to be working in the sort of industries that have been hardest hit. So, you know, 20% of the population is renting, but an absolutely huge number of those would be in industries, hospitality, tourism, and so on, which um, have been very badly hit and will continue to be badly hit for a number of months to come at least. It's interesting in in many ways. I mean, we talk so many times and and assess the impact of, for instance, at the likes of the 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 trolley crisis and hospitals, Mike, across the country, and even um the number of you know new families, new people, even children entering homelessness, and yet something like this, the um the COVID nineteen pandemic has nearly prevented, certainly in this period, more people from entering in, into homelessness. Yes, and and there there is right across the the world. There's there's things being done to uh, limit homelessness in some cases, end homelessness, which we've been told for you know thirty years can't possibly be done. Uh, and, and another example is the number of Airbnbs um, which are coming on the market. Um, local authorities, Dublin local authorities, picking. We're working hard to to bring these into the private rental market. Um, we've been saying this for years that there were lots of those out there and that they were having a, a, an impact and the government hoomed and hard and they brought in regulations but it didn't impose the regulations and so this happens and it turns out there seems to be 
you know, at the moment, several hundreds, but we hear a talk of several thousand uh, units across the country which um, may come into the private rented market. We need to keep them in the private rented market because um, they, I mean, they need, they're the homes that people need. So we've seen more, well, we've seen fewer families um, becoming homeless over the, the, the last period of time. We've seen a, a real boost in, in the number of um, families moving out of homelessness. The Dublin Regional Homeless Executive um, staff have been working extremely hard in um, securing the units which are, are, are becoming available. And our staff are, are, are working, Focus Ireland are working to support the families to move into those. Um, so there are positive things there. So what we're hoping, uh, what we're not just hoping, we're to hope to work for is that the positive things that we've seen during mm. the COVID-19 yeah. process, the collaboration and the, the Airbnbs becoming available and the restrictions on, on evictions and so on, all those continue. And the bad things that we've seen um, uh, go away as quickly as possible. And that won't just happen by chance. We really have to work at that. And we issued a, a, um, a proposal for a roadmap out of for the homeless and housing crisis to all party leaders a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things we proposed in that is that this collaboration between the health boards, between ourselves, local authorities and so on, should be uh, hardwired into the system so that we have that level of planning and collaboration, um, not just as we move out of this crisis, but into the future. And that's been sadly missed over the last number of years. And, and, and it would be a real opportunity for as an outgoing minister, um, potentially outgoing minister, um, Owen Murphy, to, to put that in place. OK. Director of Advocacy at Focus Ireland, Mike Allen, my thanks to you for joining us on Between the Lines today. You're listening to the Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We'll be back with more on this issue in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're very welcome back to the final part of this week's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We're continuing our discussion this week, focusing on the impact, the potential long-term, medium-term, even short-term effect on the rental sector as a result of COVID-19. Well, joining us on the line is the spokesperson for the Residential Landlords Association, Joe Doyle. Joe, my thanks to you for taking the call today. Just first of all, um, from speaking to some of your your members and other colleagues, other residential landlords, what has the, what's been the impact of COVID-19 on them? So far, most of the impact has been with regards to any growth or future of, of the market or the economy. Where are we going in the next quarter or the next six months? Uh, because people couldn't move around houses as much um, due to the lockdowns, we're not seeing that many um, we're not seeing that many vacancies or voids because most people are pretty much staying put. Um, obviously during the course of our business you would have tenants that would move from A to B for whatever else that has stopped Uh, there was a few people that uh, we got reports have kind of left the country you know uh, for our workers are working there they've left and that's that's created a a small number of voids but so far uh, really the, the whole industry is holding its breath I would say to see what's next Okay, so just by way of a general assessment at the moment, you don't have maybe the people that are working in areas and looking for, you know, different accommodation or want to change apartment or change house house or whatever. That hasn't happen, happened, so we don't have the switchers. But equally, we have, have we, I mean, have you any assessment of how many roughly properties have been left vacant in the last three months? I wouldn't have that information yeah. to hand it, to be honest. But it, it hasn't been a devastating impact, if, if I'll be honest, and fair to... Uh, in terms of what we're hearing from our members, but it is it is something that needs to be uh, 
needs to be considered at this stage. Yeah, um, I, I'm a renter myself, and I'm I'm acutely aware of the you know the the difficulties and and the pressures that that comes with that for both the landlord and and the tenant. But um, I'm interested as to whether or not you've had many people looking for you know whether it be a rent reduction um uh, or, or a rent cut during this period. There was a fair bit of that reported now, to be honest, um, and. You know, as a landlord, you're you're sandwiched between the tenants who's paying you the rent and the lenders who you owe money to. And the difficulty there is if you've got money not coming in on one side and you're expected to pay out on the far side, that's the difficulty. So, you know, we know that there's mortgage holidays have been offered to uh, mortgage moratoriums have been offered to um, mortgage holders. The difficulty with that is that we're not expected to collect rent. So if a tenant owes you three months' rent and he hasn't been working for three months, you're not going to really be able to collect that rent without putting the guy under serious financial pressure. Whereas on the far side, the money is still accruing, um, albeit spread over the lifetime of the mortgage. So it's a little bit unfair, I believe, in, in that instance there. The bank had an opportunity to to repay their debt to society, if I'd be straight with you, um, if I allowed to put it so bluntly. Um, and they could have given a, a, a three-month interest-free period. And that would have you know, that would have levelled the playing fields right across the board, but that wasn't the case, you know. So, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people, you know, they may be given a rent break in some cases and and we heard from um Mike Allen from Focus Ireland earlier in the program and he was saying that you know that's not necessarily a good thing getting a, a break because it just means as you said yourself Joe it kind of um it all adds up then at the at the end of the 3 or the 4 month uh, the 4 month holiday but i suppose there are schemes out there that the likes of the rent supplement scheme which is something that Mike spoke about a little bit earlier as well that you know if people are in difficulty there are some initiatives out there that they can go and look for some assistance as well. Oh, for sure. For sure there is. But, you know, we got caught in the situation there where some of these guys are moving abroad, they're going back home and they want to keep their property. So what do we do with a situation when uh, when a guy's going back home for a number of months and he wants to keep the property or when he's get, when he's when his job is open back up on a safe basis? So he's back in walking, but he's not walking at his normal hours. And there's always that little that little between the lines, to put it barely, where uh, where people are getting caught out and it's put a little bit of strain on a couple of tenancies and, and, and that's what we've seen with, with our members. Mm-hmm. Um, we were speaking, you know, earlier as well about the fact that you have some people that are maybe in the likes of house shares or maybe there were students that had to finish up um, that due to no fault of their own, but if they're the, the educational institute that they were studying, studying at closed <coughs> as a result of the current pandemic, they were left maybe in a situation where they were currently renting a property um, and now they're either out of work or they're, or they're back home because the, the, the college has maybe shut for this period. What happens in cases like that? Is that something that your members are experiencing? Yeah, well, it's, it's basically the, the students and the European workers who are working here in bars, restaurants and hotels, they're the guys that left the properties and they're the guys that are still keeping tenancies in the properties, but it's going to be difficult to get them to you know, you're not going to collect the full rent off these guys. That's the that's the problem. But yet we're still expected to pay our mortgages. However, we're not expected to pay it. We've got our, our three-month break, which I believe has been extended a little bit then for those that need it. But that money still needs to be paid. So are you saying that some of your, your members or colleagues that you know of have actually just given reductions in some cases? Yeah, so what they're trying to... You need to bring together something that's workable. If a guy's moved away for a number of months, come back home and, and and the jury's out with him, whether he's either going to come back or not. You need to, We need to do something with these guys to make sure we can 
we can bring them back in. Otherwise, we're we're going to be snookered. Uh, the same with the students. They they normally take uh, a nine month lease or so. That was obviously cut short. So they're they're gone as well now. So we don't know what's going to happen with these guys going forward. Obviously, if you've got a good tenant, you want to preserve the tenancy. You want to do what you can to help these guys out there. Uh, but it's just it's just up in the air, if I'll be honest, at this mm. stage for a lot of people. Some people that might have been planning to move a rental property prior to the, the COVID-19 pandemic and maybe they had, you know, viewed a place and then they were going back to maybe look at it a second or a third time before taking out a lease on, on the property. I, I assume the, the viewing of properties would have stopped during this period, but I understand that's likely to recommence again now in the coming weeks. Yeah, the switchers, as you called them earlier on, that stopped. Everybody put the brakes on. Well, I say everybody. A lot of a lot of the market put the brakes on because a the restrictions and and b the uncertainty. So people are kind of happy to to deal with where they were, as opposed to you know take a chance and move to somewhere else with all these restrictions going on. So um, that has been that has helped the landlords, if I be honest, in that they haven't got the, the moving around. So that that but that's a temporary measure. And as soon as the restrictions are lifted, we're expecting to see tenants moving out properties need to be you know ready for new tenants moving and the normal moving movement of tenants will will recommence does that mean there's a lot of empty rental stock at the moment sojo so we've got a couple of factors there as you mentioned the students and the the, the european workers who have left because there's a lot of them in bars restaurants hotels etc throughout the sea a lot of them have left and then we also had the, the airbnb stuff which you know was banned recently there and that came back on so we don't have an exact figure as to what the, the voids rates are across the city, but if you take those three factors into account, uh, you would expect that there is a number of uh, there is a number of voids. You know, there's a percentage of voids right across the city that when when the market reopens, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe that will alleviate pressure mm-hmm. somewhat and bring it to a, a manageable level for the for the the market itself. There's still going to be a knock-on effect of the COVID-19 pandemic over the course of the, the, the next number of weeks and months, Joe. How do you see the, the rental market been affected by this now in the long term? So the, the rental market is, is really affected mostly by some supply and demand. And we have an artificially low amount of units at the minute for, for what we need. So that's obviously what's been putting so much pressure on the market. Then we get the factors there with the Airbnb if the students aren't going to come back, or if these remote workers aren't, got, or if these um, foreign workers aren't going to come back, by the way, that will that will level off the the demand. That will level off the demand, and, and supply will will hopefully be able to accommodate that. Another thing that that were that there's been talk of at the minute is you hear the big companies like Twitter and Facebook are saying that they're going to allow uh, they're going to allow their staff to work from home on a full time basis uh, when the when, when the economy opens back up, and you know what we're thinking then is what if what if there's foreign workers in Ireland renting apartments, houses, or whatever else working for these big companies, and then they decide to move back home but retain their Irish job? That's something that will most likely have a, a big impact on the on, on the demand for for rental properties in, in the city in particular as well in Dublin City. Just in the sense that what they'll become vacant again. Yeah, well, like if if like a lot of the you know what what attracts. What attracts these guys to the country is the, is the salary um, for, for, from the job. But if they can get the salary... Now, I, I, we don't know what the inner workings of the, the terms and conditions are for these companies, but if it becomes it becomes popular where, you know, a guy that's from Poland is working in Ireland and he can now walk from home, but if he can, if home from him is then Poland, 
the likes himself and other people like him will will most likely go back there. But that again will uh, will have an effect on the on the demand for properties in in Dublin City. Mm. So is it just too early to say at this stage what the long term effect will be? It, it really is, yeah. But the most important thing to point out there is that um, it's a it's a medical crisis. Um, it's not a housing crisis. It's not a credit crunch. Um, all these different things that that happened back in two thousand and eight that really devastated the world economy, not just the Irish economy. Um, we are going to experience certain parts of them, but they're more as a as a side effect from the main the main cause of the problem. Mm. So I w- I would expect that the recovery would be somewhat swift. And, and it shouldn't cut as deep as it did last and hopefully for, for everyone that that's the case. Okay, we'll leave it there. Joe Doyle, spokesperson for the Residential Landlords Association. My thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. We are, of course, continuing our discussion, looking at the likelier possible effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the rental market in this country. Well, joining us to give us their assessment is the editor of Move, the property section with the Sunday Times, Linda Daly. Linda, just first of all, as somebody that's obviously... um, writing about housing and renting in this country on a, on a regular basis. What's your overall assessment of the impact of the pandemic on the rental market at the minute? Um, I suppose the immediate impact is, it has been quite obvious. Um, in the last few months, uh, people who were renting, a lot of immigrants returned home and the Airbnb sector as well sort of came to a standstill. And um, DAS reported that in the first month alone, there was a 75% spike in rental properties in Dublin City, um, just Dublin City, I suppose, as opposed to the rest of the country. Now, that, that figure did kind of decrease, but then started to spike again in April. So um, DAS reported that asking prices were down by 2.1% in April. So I think the immediate effect has been quite obvious. And even from talking to some people from anecdotal evidence, um, where letting agents are trying to rent out some rooms that maybe had been vacated by those departing foreign workers that they've been finding it difficult whereas before maybe they would have had to just do one viewing and the room would be taken now it's like five six seven for those that are actually going in to properties and would that pressure that ever increasing pressure that is been on the rental sector for the past uh, number of years Linda the fact that that has kind of eased and albeit I know not in the circumstances people would like and as you mentioned a lot of people have have left Ireland as well I mean is it likely to go back to the way it was or how how will we recover from this? Yeah I suppose if you speak to the estate agents and it must be said that their kind of main aim is to get the best for their clients they will say perhaps rents won't go down and you know they, they can't see a big kind of decrease in rents but I was speaking to one estate agent and he said, you know, if a good tenant came to me at the moment and said, you know, I was I was asking 2,100 just say for a two bedroom apartment. And he said, well, I'll give you 2,000. I would take that. Now that's a 5% decrease. So, you know, I think it's more of a tenant's market at the moment, at least. We won't really know how it affects, how everything, you know, this whole COVID situation um, affects rents long term. But at least in the medium term, um, with the fact that landlords can't increase rents um, mm. due to the, the freeze, um, there, we will definitely see some sort of, you know, steadying of rents. Whereas in the past, I mean, we've, tenants have just been kind of hit and you know, for the last kind of been um, incessant for the last sort of eight to nine years. You know, so um, I do think I do think that in the medium term, 
there will definitely be a stabilisation. How much rents come down still remains to be seen about, you know, it depends on unemployment rates and also if those immigrants do decide to come back. The other point about all of this, I mean, is the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on people's employment status and on their their income levels as well. Are we seeing private landlords giving rent reductions, maybe in cases where their tenant, maybe a long-term tenant has perhaps taken a pay cut or maybe they got stranded at home and and aren't even in many cases living in the house where they're actually renting a room once the the five, you know, or the two kilometre um, travel restrictions came in. Are landlords bowing to that? It's been a mixture. Um, there's been some tenants have reported that yes, their landlords have been really good and that they have um, negotiated with them. Others have said the landlords aren't moving. Now that could be for a number of reasons. You know, a landlord could have a mortgage and not want to kind of ask for a mortgage freeze. They could just not be a nice person. Um, you know, it could be for mm. a, you know, a number of reasons. But I suppose really... It, um, a lot of the agents are saying even the the big guys, you know, the institutional landlords have been willing to sort of negotiate on prices. But having said that, the likes of IRS now last week um, said that, you know, the vast majority, I mean, it was over 90% of its rent collections are still being taking place. So, um, you know, they're, they're not seeing that kind of fall in, in rents. Um, but I do think it is on a case by case basis. Mm, yeah, and as you mentioned, I mean to be fair, like a lot of landlords will have, especially if they're kind of a small time landlord, will have a mortgage uh, to repay. But they might be willing to negotiate. Um, I mean, if it's the case that they're going to lose the tenant or the property is going to become vacant, or instead of having three in a house share or, or four in a house share, now they're going to have three. There might be a little bit, a little bit of a room for manoeuvre in, in situations like that. Yeah, and I suppose if a landlord is sort of desperate and they want to kind of you know, get get a room filled or, you know, they want some sort of extra money. It is, now would be the time to negotiate with your landlord, I would suggest, because I think, you know, we don't know what's going to happen maybe three, six months down the line. Whereas now if the tenants do have a little bit of upper hand. They could kind of go and say, look, you know, I can't pay this amount. Can we pay a certain amount? Now, it is obviously worth noting that the RTB has said that, you know, if landlords go and say, look, I'll accept a decrease for now, that it's not going to last. Um, you know, it's, 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 they, they can go back in six months and three months and say, OK, we're going back up. So they don't have to decrease it and keep it at that lower level. OK, so if if, the, if a landlord is to de- decrease the, the rent during this period, it doesn't affect um, the price they charge under what the, the rent pressure zones, under what yes. that regulation would be, where then they have to stick to that going forward? No, yes. So they can they can kind of reinstate the old price, um, the old rent after you know everything um, kind of dies down even you know i suppose if they said right for three months and then if the rent freeze is for another three months they could probably still go back and say look i'm going to back, i'm going to increase it again so they won't be kind of stuck at that level yeah are these mortgage reduction or sorry rent reductions we're talking about linda sorry or are they rent breaks um, rent reductions. So they can, they, the RTB have said that if they reduce rent, um, they, you know, that they can go back up. Mm, okay. I mean, a lot of, I mean, I think, if, you know, I was, I was speaking to one agent and they said there was kind of talk that when um, the, the rent freeze was imposed or on, on the market that a lot of tenants thought that they would, that, it, that meant a rent break. 
but it didn't. It just means that the the landlords cannot increase the rent mm. over the next few months. So um, I know some people may have, may have thought, oh, well, I don't have to pay my rent, but that's not the situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just, I suppose, too, to be clear about that. I mm. want to ask you, it's something you mentioned at the outset, and that's in relation to the Airbnb stock that has now become available. And similar as well um, to the, the student accommodation. I mean, for a lot of third level students that mightn't be going back to college, um, or certainly they can't plan to go back to college, maybe in September as they normally would, what happens in cases like that where you have these kind of um, you know the student accommodation that is sort of designated for that purpose yeah I, I think student accommodation has kind of been hit um, as, as one of the hardest hit in this because if you look at the market over the last few years um, we've kind of taken a UK model where a lot of developers came in and started building off campus schemes so now you have students who aren't going to um, be going to college so they've lost the rent in that you also have um, during the summer months they would rent them out to tourists so that's gone that business is gone so if, if, if a couple of the UK um, operators have been saying that they're expecting losses of up to 20% this year um, now if if it extends and students don't go back you know like Cambridge has said that their students aren't going to go back until 2021 in yeah. the UK so if our colleges um, kind of replicate that that could be a whole year so I just, I just, I don't know. I mean, it may not affect obviously the student accommodation that's available at the moment, but what it could do is put a halt to maybe developments that are coming up with kind of investors reconsidering what they're going to do. But certainly in the short term, I mean, they'll be in trouble um, that they're getting money, really. And and on those properties that are being built with the specific purpose of being a um, third level, you know, or student accommodation, can they be re-allocated um, or renamed yeah. to go out to private residential rent tenants? Um, I suppose there'd be issues around that because... When, when it comes to standards so um, student accommodation wouldn't have to have the same standards as residential accommodation, accommodation. so I suppose there may, there will be planning issues um, you know, in, in regards maybe size and space and how many how many units are based around one quarter, I mean they, they could I suppose there could be some sort of redesigning um, to maybe repurpose them as bigger apartments um, as opposed to just bed units but um, it would be a big investment and it would depend on whether um, the investors were willing to kind of literally change tack or if they're going to play a long game. OK, we'll leave it there. Editor of The Move, the property section with The Sunday Times. Linda Daly, my thanks to you for joining us on the programme today. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. If you've missed any of today's pro- programme, you can download the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or as always on the Go Loud app. My thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Between the Lines this time next week and with Breakfast Briefing at six o'clock on Monday. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day. 